This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide episode 441. This is the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. And on this week's show, Samsung releases its 2021 range of stunning TVs. We'll tell you the pricing and how they're also better for the environment. Why Australia will be virtually cashless within three years. And the Apple Watch ECG has finally been approved by the TGA. What you need to do to make this feature work for you. In the Tech Guide Reviews, you're going to check out the Bose Sports Earbuds. DJI has released its new FPV drone, but is it legal to use in Australia? And how the app economy is thriving despite the impact of COVID. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, a little while back, uh, actually during the virtual consumer electronics show, we told you all about the new Samsung range of its 2021 TVs. It's 8K and 4K Neo QLED TVs. And I actually got to see them with my own eyes for the first time just last week. And uh, this comes at a time when they are now in store. They've announced pricing. We'll get to that in a moment. But I have to say the range of Samsung TVs for 2021 is rather impressive. Of course, we all we already know about their lifestyle range of TVs. They were there again. Nothing new. I think just updated versions of the same product. So we've got the Serif, which is the like a standalone, what, the, what they call their lifestyle TV. There's the Cero, which is the TV that can actually change its aspect ratio. So you can connect it to your, to your smartphone and it will reflect the content that you're viewing on your phone. So if you tilt your phone up to portrait mode, the TV will respond. And if you, you go back into landscape mode, the screen will also do the same. So it, it's meant to for, to for people to enjoy their content as they would on their phone. So... Uh, uh, Samsung thought, well, there's a gap in the market there. Let's fill it. Uh, there's also, of course, their Terrace TV, which is the TV that you can place outside. It's weatherproof, insect-proof. Uh, there's also a sound bar that can go with that as well. And uh, they also have, of course, their frame TVs. And, and these are uh, full QLED, 4K, look amazing. When they're not actually working as a TV, they can just display a work of art. And Samsung had a whole wall full of televisions and it was actually a wall full of frames, I should say. And it was hard to pick which frames were televisions. They, they In that art mode, it, it looked like a regular work of art but uh, it was very surprising and they've got uh, new larger sizes as well just because that's what Australians want to th- now they, they want bigger screens we're looking I think the new normal the new entry level TV people are going to be looking at this year is 75 inch and that's Samsung have catered for that they've got 75 and 85 inch TVs up, up front 
and uh, it, I think that that's what that's what we're going to see a lot more of this year. Uh, size is what we're after. The bigger, the better. Go big or go home, as I always say. So Samsung definitely taking a leaf out of that book. But it was uh, amazing to see, though, the Neo QLED TVs. And the these are TVs that have had quite a huge improvement in terms of the technology, and in particular, the backlight. So how the QLEDs work, they have obviously the panel, but they also have these backlights. And up until now, the backlights were the size of a button. So look down at your shirt, or men and women, if you look at a shirt on your blouse or on your, on your, on your business shirt or whatever you happen to be wearing right now, have a look down at the button on whatever you're wearing. That's roughly the size of the old backlight. So the QLEDs 2020 and before had backlights about the size of the button that you're now looking at. So you're probably looking down at your clothing right now. So that's the size that was before. Now what they've done, they've introduced this new mini LED technology, which has gone from having those button-sized LEDs to microscopic LEDs. And I saw this with my own eyes. They had this a sample of the backlight, the new microscopic, the mini LED, and it looked like just a sheet of paper. But for me to see the LEDs on that little piece, that, that material, it had to be put under a microscope for me to see how microscopic these LEDs are. So put that together with a television and you go from suddenly having thousands of dimming zones and, and ways to change the contrast and colour and, and the black levels to now having tens of thousands of zones to now deliver that kind of clarity, even deeper black levels, better contrast, more vibrant and accurate colours. It is actually, it, it is the difference is remarkable. And I got to see not only the 4K, but also the 8K Neo QLED. And I'll tell you right now, the 8K picture on the Neo LED TV, the QLED TV, is probably the best picture I've seen on a television. It was incredible quality. So the it was 8K Neo QLED. It looked absolutely amazing. And you know what? Sounded amazing as well because they've got speakers built into the sides of the TVs in the Q range. So the up the the top level 4Ks and all their 8K range have speakers built into the edges of the TV. So they've got this object tracking for the sound. So that even without a soundbar, you can still hear the left and right movement of the audio. So if something's moving from the right to left on the screen, that'll be reflected uh, through the speakers that are built into the TV as well. They do have a range of soundbars as well. So the, the soundbars are there. They've got the 2021 range, which again, are just incredible. I think they have one that's got 11 or 14 different channels in one. So it includes Dolby Atmos. Incredible sound. I heard that as well. But... Let's talk about now the pricing. And at the very top of the line is this 8K Neo QLED TV that I talked about. It's $13,999. So 14K for their very latest 85-inch Neo QLED 8K TV. Now, that's recommended retail price. Probably in store, you'd probably take a 1000 or two off that. But this is the RRP. 75-inch 
you're down to 10,500, 65 inch, 7,579. And then if you want your, uh, there's a there's a QN800 series, so uh, 85, 75 and 65. So there's the QNA series, Q9, QN900A series, and there's the QN800 series. Don't worry, you can see all these prices and all the model numbers on Tech Guide. I've got the full list there. But if you want the Neo QLED, so that not the top of the line Neo QLED, the second one down, you're saving uh, for an 85 inch, you can get that for 10,500, 75 inch, 7,579, 65 inch is 50, let's call it 5,600. Now, the new Neo QLED 4K TVs, only available uh, maximum size is 75 inch. So if you want the 85, you got to go 8K. 75 inch Neo QLED 4K TV. That's the model numbers QN90A, 75 inch, 6,399 bucks, which for the latest TV is actually not too bad. In store, that'll come down significantly. That'll be in the 5,000s, that price. 65-inch QN990A 4K Neo QLED, $4,899. So they're the prices for the, the top of the line. They also have, so they've got the Neo QLED range. They've also got the regular QLED to range as well. The, if you just want regular QLED, not the Neo QLED, 65-inch is going to cost you $3,489. So that's for a 2021 QLED TV, not the Neo though. And they've also got another range with sort of your more entry-level uh, 4K range is called Crystal UHD. And they do have an 85-inch. In the Crystal UHD, and the Crystal UHD TVs are very impressive, I've got to say, really nice. Crystal UHD TV, 85-inch, the model number is AU8000, Three thousand three hundred eighty-nine bucks. That's for an eighty-five-inch TV, twenty-twenty-one TV, seventy-five-inch, two thousand two hundred and fifty-nine. So these are the entry-level, the bread and butter four K TVs that are, I think, pretty reasonably priced. Sixty-five-inch you can get for sixteen eighty-nine. Brand new Crystal UHD twenty twenty-one model. Those prices are pretty good. Obviously, if you want the best of the best, you want the Neo QLED, that's going to cost you a bit more. But I did mention in the intro, though, that these are going to be environmentally friendly, more more friendly to the environment. And how they're doing that is in a couple of ways. Anyone who's bought a TV will know the box is massive. It's a big cardboard box. What do you do with it? It's easy to you recycle it, throw it away, whatever you do. But Samsung has actually created more uh, what they call eco-packaging. And what it is, it allows you to repurpose the box. So you'll be able to fashion the TV into furniture and toys. So what, what they've done, they've, they create uh, uh, these, these, these lines on the, on the box. So if you want to, say, create a magazine rack, there's this dot matrix design which which the corrugated TV box will now allow you to cut along those lines and assemble them for these other uses. So that you can make a magazine rack, uh, a little side table, a little animal, a little house. So a little bit of fun, repurpose, repurpose the box rather than throwing it away. There's even a little stand you can make for your TV. So you can put your PlayStation in there, maybe some DVDs and stuff. It's a little shelf for your TV, a uh, little side table. There's all pictures of these on Tech Guide as well, by the way. The other improvement here for Apple, uh, Apple, Samsung, I should say, Samsung's sustainability efforts is their remote control. Every 2021 TV will now feature 
a solar cell remote control, that's every Samsung 2021 TV, will now feature a solar cell remote. So this is, it's got a solar cell in it, no need for batteries. It's powered by indoor light or sunlight and eliminates the need for disposable batteries. So you can imagine Samsung being the number one TV manufacturer, selling millions of TVs worldwide. So this move alone is going to save up to 100 million AAA batteries ending up in landfill over the average seven-year life of a TV. That's a lot of battery savings. That's really cool. Packaging is improved. Also, the solar cell. So Samsung definitely want to be a little bit more greener, uh, have a less of a carbon footprint. So they're, I think, trying to move in that direction. But uh, if you want to read about all of the TV, see that full pricing list, see the the uh, pictures of the designs look amazing, but uh, and also see that price list, and also see hear about and look at some of the furniture that, that you can make with the eco packaging. You can check all of that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. I don't know about you, uh, do you use cash at all? Are you still rocking the coins and bills or are you more a digital payment kind of guy or girl? Touch, touch payment, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Google Pay, every uh, every other form of digital payment, debit card, tap and go. Uh, is that you or are you still, you still like having cash in your wallet? I've got to say, as techie as I am, I, I like cash. I like having cash because I know how much money I've got. I know how much money's in my wallet. Uh, I, I don't have to check an account to see whether there's money in there. There is money in there, and I do use it occasionally. But I like having cash. If I need to buy a coffee or, I don't know, buy some drinks or whatever, i got the money. i got the cash, and I know exactly. So I know what, what's left for me to spend on that particular day or whether I need to go to the ATM to pull out more cash. I do use my digital wallet a fair bit. I use my uh, on my Apple Watch. I use Apple Pay. I do use Tap and Go on my credit cards. But the trend, according to the 2021 Global Payments Report, says that by, 90, by 2024, 98% of the country will be cashless. So our economy is expected to be 98% cashless. So only 2% will be paying cash, less than that. Uh, how does this make you feel? If, if, uh, if you probably don't use much cash at all right now, then you probably don't care. But if you are, if you are attached to your cash, you might earn cash. Is a cash economy going around? I don't know whether this is going to be something you might like. But reports suggest that the use of mobile wallets is projected to double at the point of sale over the next four years. And what's hurried it along is the COVID pandemic. It's moved the needle. It's accelerated the move away from cash. Because a lot of people who perhaps might not have paid digitally in the past were forced to during the pandemic, and they've thought, this is all right. So they're... Uh, They've embraced the di- this digital commerce that's uh, that's becoming so much more popular. So, customers around the world though are, are following the same path. They pre- preference for this frictionless digital payments at point of sale, and Australia is one of the leading countries moving away from cash. We've always been early adopters when it comes to new tech, and uh, or even uh, that includes alternate payment technologies. 
including there's a few now buy the buy now pay later options BNPL for short after pay there's a few of them uh, that, that that's uh, they're doing great guns now and c- continuing to claim even more market share uh, just the buy now pay later is going to in the next few years on track to more than double from 9.5% where it was in 2020 to almost 20% in 2024. But the research also suggests that cash payments for in-store purchases are forecast to slump from 8.3% where they were in 2020 to just 2.1% in 2024. And that makes Australia the fourth most cash-averse country. And the countries ahead of us, interesting, Sweden. By 2024, cash is only going to make up 0.4% of the economy. Denmark, 0.8% of the economy. And third is Hong Kong, which uh, by 2024, they're saying, this according to the research, 1.6% of the economy will be cash. And that the next country is Australia, 2.1%. So we are, the, we are moving into this new era, a new era of commerce and cash. So the coins and, and bills are going to be collector's items by the sounds of it within the next few years. How does that make you feel? Are you happy about that? You, you don't care? You do care? Let us know. Hit me up on Twitter, at Stephen Fennick. I am on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Or send me an email. We might talk, get some, share some responses in the next show. But if you want to hear more about that story, see those figures for yourself, uh, are, you, are you happy that we're going cashless? Uh, you want to check that out? It's at techguide.com.au. Now, Apple Watch has officially been approved as an ECG. Now, cast your mind back a few weeks ago, we were talking about the irregular rhythm notifications, which had received approval by the Australian Therapeutic Goods Administration. That's the TGA. They've approved this, which means that uh, the Apple Watch is now considered a medical-grade device that can create, record, and store a single-channel electrocardiogram. That's straight out of the out of the TGA uh, for their approval document that was released last week, which now approves in Australia. Apple Watch to be used as an ECG. And as I said, it follows on the irregular rhythm notifications. ECG is like the other half of that. This is the other shoe that dropped. So irregular rhythm notification, that got the tick. So it was only just a matter of time before the ECG electrocardiogram also got the big tick as well. So basically what this means now, if you receive an irregular rhythm notification or or just for the heck of it, you want to check your ECG, fire up the ECG app, place your finger on the digital crown on the right edge of the phone, and you'll be able to see a live readout of your heartbeat. So this uh, And this information, you can record it and store it and then upload it to a health professional who will take it seriously because Apple Watch is now considered a medical-grade device. So this reading is something that you can share with your, with your doctor, health professionals, in, to maybe see that you might have an irregular heart rhythm or any other heart, heart problems you may have. It'll show up now. You'll be able to get to the bottom of it uh, because you've been able to perform an ECG on the spot and send that to your doctor, which is remarkable. You think about how 
Imagine someone telling you this 25 years ago, that ECGs, you better just touch a watch on your wrist and have an ECG. They would have thought you were, you were nuts. But it's actually here. And in fact, Apple Watch wasn't even the first one to have this feature. Cast your mind back to November, the Withing Scan Watch had the first e- ECG approved in Australia. So they beat Apple to the punch. Withing's very much a, a health, health and wellness brand. And their Scan Watch that was released, and I wrote about it on Tech Guy back in November, was the first to have an ECG. Those who own a, a Galaxy Watch 3, that has the feature on board, like Apple Watch has, but hasn't been approved yet by the TGA. So it's a matter of time. And it, it will then, once it's approved, uh, like Apple Watch, you'll be able to use it. Now, for those who do own an Apple Watch Series 4 or later, so if you bought your Apple Watch in 2018 or, or later, you've got this feature and it's ready to be activated. And here's what you need to do. The next software update, which will be Watch OS 7.4, that will appear in your Apple Watch app on your iPhone. Keep an eye out for that. Once that arrives, update, send that update, have your watch nearby, update the, the Watch OS software to 7.4, and you'll see in the release notes, it'll say approval for ECG and irregular rhythm notifications in Australia. And there may be some other countries in this in the Asia-Pacific region that have had similar approvals. I think in the in the watchOS 7.3, from memory, there was approvals for the Philippines, Japan, Thailand for their ECG and their regular rhythm notification. So it's our turn now. WatchOS 7.4. Once you've done that software update, that feature will be activated and you'll be able to perform the ECG on the spot on your Apple Watch. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Apple Watch Series 4 and later. It's been available in the US since the the Apple Watch Series 4 was released. So they've had it for more than two years, but it's our turn. So keep an eye out for that. ECG a go on the Apple Watch. If you want to read more about that story, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Kicking off the reviews this week is the Bose Sports Earbuds. Uh, Bose, I'm a fan of Bose. They've got their active, their quiet comfort uh, noise cancelling, active noise cancelling earphones, which I'm a fan of. But these are more for your, for every day, your sports, your trainer, your, your, you go to the gym. For those people who want to have their music, their podcast, their audio book with them when they're on their walk, their run at the gym, this is the product for you. Uh, it's also a lot cheaper than the Quiet Comfort as well because it doesn't have active noise cancellation, and I'll tell you why. That's a good idea a little bit later. But the Bose Sports earbuds, they look very similar to the Quiet Comforts. They've got that oval shape, hang mainly outside your ear. That's the typical Bose design, and and it works very well because 
It's a comfortable yet secure fit. And the silicon, there's like an umbrella-shaped silicon tip here that, that fits nicely in your ear. There's a little wing as well so that it, you, you sort of put it in and twist it. It sits securely in your ear so there's nothing jammed inside your ears. Some of the other products, some of the competitor products, you really need to stick the, the earbud into your ear canal so it can take the weight of the earbud. That's not the case with the Bose. It's very nicely balanced. It's got the tip, the wing, Twist it into place. It's it's not it's very comfortable yet secure at the same time and can handle if you're running, walking at the gym, whatever you happen to be doing, uh, can handle that with ease. It also has an IPX4 rating, which means it's water resistant. So if you uh, you're sweating or you get caught in the rain, everything is protected. You'll be right to go. That's why these are called the sports earbuds. Uh, really comfortable. The the, the oval shape makes it really easy to access the the touch controls. It's got a capacitive touch interface. So on the right earbud, you can swipe up and down for volume control, double tap to play and pause, double tap if you're getting a phone call to answer it. On the left earbud, you can create a shortcut from the, Bu- the Bose Music Companion app. So if you want to, the two options you got are to uh, hear your battery level, so if you double tap the the, the the left earbud, you can either hear the double the, the battery level or skip forward to the next track. You can program that in the Bose Music app. The Music app also offers playback controls and software updates too. There's, I had a software update the other day when I was uh, reviewing it. It updated to the latest firmware, uh, so you don't want to miss out on the features there. Now, on the design side, I already mentioned the umbrella-shaped silicon tips were really soft and really comfortable, so really nicely balanced. So I think in terms of comfort, they uh, pass with flying colours. But let's let's jump to the audio quality, and just seeing the name uh, will tell you these are going to sound pretty good, and they do. Uh, you can rightly assume they do sound pretty good. This is, of course courtesy of the high-efficiency drivers that are on board. They've got their patented acoustic port design, and they've also got an active equaliser, which is volume-optimised. So it provides that right balance for your highs, the lows, and generally I found the audio to be signature bows with nice clarity, uh, but with the right amount of bass. It's not too bassy. It's uh, pretty, pretty balanced, pretty pretty faithful to uh, the sound of the of the music. It, it doesn't try to embellish any extra bass and anything else. You're getting what you're hearing is what the artist intended, which is why you buy Bose in the first place, I think. Um, but again, I mentioned at the, at the top, no active noise cancellation. And that's good for two reasons. Number one, you want to hear your surroundings. Active noise cancellation floods out, just just cancels out all your ambient noise. Not a good thing if you're, say, running near a road or walking near a road or you, you want to be aware of your surroundings. So I think not having noise cancellation uh, is a good thing here. That That's kind of the reason why this is a sports earbud rather than their sort of their top-of-the-line product. Secondly, they're cheaper. Uh, not having active noise cancellation makes them a couple of hundred dollars cheaper than the than their active noise cancellation earphones that Bose and other brands make. They, they tend to be a lot more expensive because there's a bit more technology on board with the uh, active noise cancellation. So it's listening out for the ambient sound, generating a reverse wavelength to to cancel it out. That's you don't have that with this, so that's that's why they're a lot cheaper, uh, but still offer great audio quality and. The silicon tip, while it's uh, it, it does fit comfortably in your ear, it does create a little bit of a passive uh, passive seal, so that kind of acts like a little bit of noise cancellation, but not so much that you can't hear 
the outside world. That's really important. I don't think you can really make sports earbuds that offer noise cancellation. It kind of defeats the purpose. You want to be able to hear the cars and traffic and everything if you're running or riding a bike even. Not that I'd recommend riding a bike with the earphones in, but you know what I mean. If you're walking in the gym, you want to be able to hear what's happening around you while you're exercising. While you're making calls as well, the Bose Sports Buds are really nice. I was impressed, actually, with the call quality. Uh, and, and that's thanks to these beam-forming microphone array. And they can actually distinguish between your voice and separate it from the background noise. So you come through hand, sounding really clear. Uh, we spoke to a few people on it, and they didn't even know that we were wearing earphones. I did even did a, ra- I did a radio interview with these on, and they thought I was just talking into my phone. So it sounded great. I was actually in the middle of a walk. So I did the radio interview while I was walking they didn't even know Uh, so that's one good thing if you can't hear the difference mission accomplished and uh, big tick to Bose for that one Uh, battery wise you get five hours of listening time which I thought maybe could be a bit more I've seen other brands offering up to nine hours with their with their earphones but five hours I think is okay could have been better but not a deal breaker it's uh, it's still good and don't forget you got the case as well which can charge them two more times so there's 10 hours just in the case on their own so up to 15 hours with a full charge of the earphones and a fully charged case, 15 hours. In the case, you can see the charge level. There's five little LED lights on the front. When you open up the case, it'll illuminate. It'll give you a good indication of how much power is left in the case. But uh, once again, though, Bose has not held back with the size of the case. It's a big case. And they've done this all the time. Like it's massive compared to competitor uh, charging cases. Like the Apple AirPods case is like half the size of this. So look, that that's kind of my only complaint about this. And again, not a deal breaker. These are still, still a great product. It's just a little cumbersome having to carry this big case in your pocket. If you don't have a bag, you've got this big lump in your pocket. That's your Bose charging case. You might say, is that a Bose charging case? Or are you just happy to see me? Uh, I haven't used that line before, but uh, hopefully no one will. The Bose Sports Earbuds are available in three colors as well. Baltic Blue, Glacier White, Triple Black. Priced at two hundred and ninety nine bucks, and a mate of mine who saw my review on on uh, on Tech Guide said he saw them at Maya for two hundred and fifty bucks. So shout out to Paul, my mate who uh, read my review and left that little comment on my story. So two fifty if you want to get them cheaper at Maya, but recommended retail price is two hundred and ninety nine bucks. The Bose Sports Earbuds. You want to read our complete review? Head over to TechGuide.com.au. Well, DJI have just released a brand new drone. It was the worst kept secret in the world too. There was the event was last week, and apparently there was the speculation was out there that it was going to be the FPV first person view, and it's right. There was even the, there was even an unboxing video of this like a week before it was announced officially. So the cat was out of the bag. DJI, the FPV, uh, true to the rumors, they released it officially. And this is uh, what I'm calling like the sports car of their drone range. You know, they've got they've got the Inspire, they've got the Mavics, they've got the Minis, and the DJI FPV is like the sports car of the range because this is designed to offer a different experience. It's designed to offer you an immersive experience. So, as its name suggests, FPV, you want to get a first-person view of what the drone is seeing. 
Now, in this instance, the camera, it's a single axis on the front of the drone. So, you know, normally the, the camera's either at the in the front nose sort of aiming down or and on the bottom, like the Inspire, my Inspire 2, the camera's on the bottom of the drone, and then you can sort of tilt it up and down. You can face it forward and kind of get that same effect, but this is purely meant for first-person view to capture things at, at a, a different different way. And not only for you, like the footage you capture would, is amazing, but it's also designed to give you the experience of flying. It's like an immersive experience. And it even comes with a pair of goggles. The DJI FPV Goggles V2 are part of the package here. They can be worn while flying the drone. So the person's wearing the, the goggles, uh, in, if the pilot's doing that, then it's, they're going to be experiencing the drone rather than having to look down at a controller they're seeing a first-person view of the drone with all the information on the screen. But here's the thing. Australian customers, our drone laws require pilots to have a line-of-sight view of their drone. And line-of-sight means seeing your drone with your own eyes. So you can't be wearing the goggles. If you're wearing the goggles, you're not looking at the drone. You're seeing from the drone's camera. So that is illegal in Australia unless you're flying indoors. Indoors, go nuts. The the law states you can use FPV with goggles indoors, but if you're outdoors, you can do one of two things. You can, uh, one, let someone else wear the goggles while you fly the drone. So the person flying the drone cannot wear the goggles. So if you want to take a mate so they can experience it, and you fly the drone, that's fine. If you want to wear the goggles, your mate's going to have to fly the drone and keep visual line of sight on the drone while you enjoy the view. So there's that. There's also a, a, the CASA, which is the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, says that you can also seek permission to fly. So there might be a particular project or, I don't know, you're filming a movie or whatever it is. You've got to give them the reason why you want to do it, and they, and they may grant you that permission. You need to tell them where it's going to happen, all these things. So keep that in mind, guys, because if you think you're going to rock up and just fly this wearing goggles with no one else around, you're breaking the law. If you want to take your mate with you, they whoever's wearing the goggles can't fly the drone outside. Sorry to say. Other countries are different. Other countries, the laws are different. In Australia, our regulations are that you cannot fly FPV while wearing goggles outdoors. Indoors, if you've got a big enough space, you can do what you want. But in this instance, yeah, I'm afraid you cannot fly the drone while wearing the goggles. But you can give someone else the thrill ride. Let them wear the goggles. Uh, the, the drone itself is a lot smaller than your typical drone. It, it's, uh, it's Like I said, it's the sports car of the range here. This is a very zippy drone, 0 to 100 in two seconds. This is a rocket. It's got much shorter props. It is, uh, has a, like a smaller, smaller body, a bit more aerodynamic, lower center of gravity. So it's really maneuverable. And for those who – there are three modes. So if you're an experienced pilot – you can come in and use the use the M mode, which is the unlimited control, complete full FPV experience. Uh, if you're a beginner, uh, you can maybe 
have the use the N mode, which is designed for new users, combines the traditional controls with all the safety sensors. There are sensors all over this thing. There's also S mode, which is like a hybrid, a bit, bit of like if you're a beginner, slightly better than a beginner. S mode lets you enjoy the freedom of flying with simplified controls of previous drones. But uh, so they've got you. They've got you covered there in terms of the modes you want to choose. And for the first time, uh, the FPV. It comes with the traditional controllers, but you can also purchase the new motion controller. So it lets you control the drone with hand movements. So imagine you can you can just sort of tilt your arm, your hand left or right, and that shifts the drone to fly in a certain direction, which is uh, which is amazing. On the safety side, there's an emergency brake and hover. So at the press of a button, it'll stop the drone in its tracks, hover in place. There's also, of course, the well-known RTH return to home feature. And uh, it also has a flight time of 20 minutes, which is not bad for a drone of this kind. Normally, a smaller drone with a single battery. This has got a a decent-sized battery, 2,000 milliamp-hour battery uh, with built-in intelligent battery management system on board. So 20 minutes, which isn't bad for a drone like this. Now, what about the price? The DJI FPV priced at 2,099 bucks. So call that 2,100. And that includes the drone, a controller, a battery, and the goggles. The DJI FPV goggles V2 are included. If you want to purchase the motion controller, 229 bucks extra. And if you want to buy the DJI FPV Fly More kit, which includes two batteries and a charging hub, that's an extra 429 bucks. I'm always in favor of the Fly More combo. Uh, so you get more batteries and the charging hub, so more flight time. If you have more batteries, you can just, once one runs out, pop another one in and away you go. 20 minutes each one, you can fly for an hour if you've got three sets. That's pretty good. That's a lot of fun, a lot of time to fly. But remember, FPV, it's illegal unless you are indoors or someone else is wearing the goggles. You, The person controlling the drone has to keep an eye on the drone. Don't forget. DJI FPV. If you want to take a closer look at it, check it out at techguide.com.au. Now, don't we love our apps? We all use apps. Anyone listening to this show right now, you're probably listening to it through an app. And you use an app every day. There's apps for everything. Uber Eats, Uber. Everything you think of, games, news, all kinds of applications for that have been created over the years. And it's created what they call an app economy. And in particular, the Apple iOS economy, these are figures from Apple, shows that the app economy is booming. Despite the COVID pandemic and job losses and businesses disappearing, the Australian app economy is powering ahead. Now, you think about the time we've had, the pandemic, people are in lockdown. We really leaned into our technology. Our Wi-Fi had to be better. We had to. We were buying keyboards and mice and working from home and, and we couldn't go to restaurants. So what do we do? We order out or we couldn't go to the movie. So we stream on, on an app as well. So we really, really relied on our technology. And a lot of that was through apps. So in, in Australia alone, the Apple iOS app economy has created more than 156,000 jobs as of January this year. That's a 15% increase from just two years ago. 
and well above the app economy of 2017, which had 113,000 jobs. And this isn't even mentioning Android. The Android app ecosystem has about 123,000 jobs in Australia as of January 2021. Now, granted, the jobs for the Android app economy could also double up. That could sort of add up to the, 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 the numbers of Android added to iOS could be actually more than the actual total because a lot of people in the app economy jobs may might work on more than one ecosystem. So uh, there could be one person perhaps who's in the app economy who's not, not only an iOS developer, they're an Android developer, if you know what I mean there. So either way you look at it, it's still very healthy. They're doing pretty good. The App Store opened... Back in 2008, so it was when a year after the initial iPhone was launched. Remember the initial, it wasn't launched in Australia. 2007 was when the iPhone came out in the US. I think the UK had it too. Then 2008, the rest of the world got it, including Australia. And that coincided with the opening of the App Store. So the App Store, 2008 already, can you believe how long ago that's been? This created a place where developers could suddenly distribute and market their apps to a global audience and in the process created this massive economy that employs millions of people worldwide. Today, the App Store is now home to 1.8 million apps. And in to date, so since 2008, developers have earned more than 200 billion US dollars through the sale of digital goods and services in 175 markets around the world. So the App Store is going great guns. And you know, the good news too is that Aussie app developers are also doing very well on the world stage. Two in particular, there is Jigspace, which is like a 3D educational app that allows you to take objects apart and look look inside and spin them around. That uses Apple's uh, AR kit. So that, that's pretty impressive. There's also another one called Procreate. This is another Aussie Aussie app created by Savage Interactive Engagement. Uh, that's, that's an Aussie developer. And this this came about when the iPad was, was launched. This is a, a bigger platform, bigger screen. And it's a sketching app, a drawing app. So it's, it's a great, great way for you to sketch, paint, draw, whatever you want to do. It's become like the go-to drawing app around the world. And it was created right here in Australia. So we've, that's just two examples of Aussie developers who've taken advantage of the power of the App Store and contributed to the app economy. And they're no doubt employing hundreds of people now in the development of their apps and running their businesses now to a world audience. So tech, again, the app economy in particular, providing a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities, uh, despite the, 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 the COVID impact of, of, uh, of, uh, that we've had in the last 12 months, the app economy is still powering forward. If you want to read more about that, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. There's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock, which helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private, online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam and more. 
With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and data. Norton 360 Premium is available now at leading retailers. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by our good mates at Belkin, and they've just released a smart USB cable which has a little LED light, so you can see at a glance if your iPhone is fully charged. It's got the USB-A version to lightning, USB-C to lightning. When it's charging, the light's amber. When it's fully charged, the light's green. So at a glance, you can see it. It uses custom circuit board and proprietary firmware to communicate with the iPhone's battery to display the right light for you to see. So amber when it's charging, green when it's complete. I've, I've written a story about that on Tech Guide. But anyway, on to the help desk. And I have had a couple of uh, people ask me about webcams and not the webcam that you use for your computer but a webcam to use with a smart TV and the answer is the the questions were can I use a, a webcam for my smart TV and the answer is yes you can on most smart on every smart TV now there's a USB port and the smart the, the webcams come with a USB cable so simply plug it into one of the USB ports. Some have more than one. Uh, plug it into the USB port on your TV and select the source or input on the TV remote and you'll, you'll see then a camera as one of the inputs. So you can. I know there are some TVs, smart TVs, that you allow you to make Skype calls and, and other calls. You might have connected your computer to, the t- to your TV as well. So it's a really good way of having a TV, having a camera connected to the TV because God knows how many Zoom calls we've had and Skype calls. And this is another way you can do it, just sitting in front of your TV. You can have your meeting sitting in front of the best screen in the house, which happens to be your smart TV. So uh, that's, that's answered that question for a lot of people who uh, I think they've got a bit of Zoom fatigue. They want to sort of move out of the office and into the lounge room and have their Zoom meeting. Maybe has a better background. Uh, that's that's one thing I'm really interested in looking at. Whenever I'm on a call with other people, I'm seeing what's in their background and all the TV interviews. There's a lot of them now done through Zoom and Skype. Uh, I, I really like taking a look at what they've done with their background, where they're sitting. A lot of people are sitting in their kitchens and a lot of people sitting in their lounge rooms. And I've seen various other scenarios, but here's a way you can change the whole setting by adding a webcam to the best screen in your house, which happens to be your smart TV. That is the end of our show. Can you believe how fast that went? Full time. Everything we've spoken about, you can find at our website, techguide.com.au, and we love to hear from you as well. So get in touch with us. Send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. Click on the Ask Stephen icon on the right-hand right side of the homepage. You can, that, that can get an email to me as well that way. I want to give a special thanks, too, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online please support the sponsors who support the tech guide podcast thanks again for listening we look forward to you joining us again next week so until then stay safe and stay connected